Well, it is good to be here and uh, good to worship with you on Shabbat. For the past couple of weeks, uh, the messages we've spoken have been focused on prayer and on expectation of God. Prayer and expectation. And these are two highly related topics. We have prayer and expectation for God. So uh, Sam McVeigh was here a couple of weeks ago. Um, he taught about God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, and how they talk to one another. And how they are, there's this expectation that we will talk to God also. That, that communication is assumed. Communication is assumed as normal and necessary. All right? We need that in a relationship. We need communication. It's assumed. It's normal and necessary. So God gives us a form of communication, right? He gives us prayer as a form of communication with him. Even though Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, in that, in that verse he says that he already knows our needs before we ask him. God already knows our needs. He knows what you need. He knows the details in your life. And sometimes he, sometimes he reveals how he knows the details in your life. He knows what's going on. But he knows your needs. But he still wants you to talk to him. As a parent, I know what my kids need. I know what my plans are to provide for them and the things for their future that I'm working towards. And they don't know all those things that are in my mind, right? But I still want them to talk to me. I still want them to come and ask me for things. I still want them to come and have a relationship with me. And our God is an all-knowing God. He is an all-powerful God. He is the creator of the universe. And he created you and he created me to be in relationship with him relationship, two-way relationship. So just as the Father and Yeshua are one, Yeshua prayed that we would be one. And he told us additionally that he is the vine and we are the branches. And so the basis of all of this is a connected relationship, right? If you disconnect branches from the vine, right? I said the word disconnect. They are no longer connected. They are no longer attached. And what happens to that branch? It dies, right? It becomes brittle and broken. It's easily broken. And eventually it will die away, right? It will be something unable to be grafted back in. It will die. And God desires to stay connected with us. He desires that relational presence with us. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with us. He wants to love us. He wants to hold us and shepherd us. He wants to give us good things. And he wants us to talk to him. So not talking to God, so if you flip the coin over and say, okay, well, what about not talking to God? By not praying, not asking God for things, not telling him what's going on in your day, in your life, not bringing before him the needs of your neighbors, not giving him praise and glory, not giving him the worship that he deserves. 
by not talking to him, that's very presumptive of us. It's presum- presuming a relationship can always exist even when we take, even when we don't communicate. That there can still be a relationship even if we don't do our part, that it's just one way. It's very presumptive of us. And, you know, I think about it as, as you know, uh, a couple of guys who can see each other once a year and, uh, you know, kind of pick up where they're where they're off they left off you know i i have a a best friend from high school um and we we see each other maybe once every year or two okay um don't get together all that often he doesn't live locally uh and you know we we used to be really close and we have a lot of things that because we spent so much time together in high school that we based our relationship off of a lot of things in common things that we could still talk about. But the reality is, is that our relationship has not grown since high school. My relationship with him has not gotten deeper since high school. It's still based on the things that we experienced together primarily when we were in high school. Um, and so when we see each other every once a year or so, we, uh, you know, it's like a, a quick catch-up, but it's still, you know, where we were 20 years ago. It's not, it's not deeper. It's not grown. It's not as full of vitality as it could be. It's, and because we're not talking in, in relationship with each other and seeing each other regularly, I don't have that significant depth and growth that comes from that regular conversation and interaction-based relationship. And we should, we should desire a deep relationship with God, okay? We cannot settle. We cannot be a people who settle for shallowness. We cannot be a people who settle for mediocrity. We cannot be a people who settle for a lukewarm relationship with God. And every relationship, including your relationship with God, it will drift if you're not intentional about it. It will. It naturally drifts. Your marriage relationship drifts if you're not intentional about keeping it together, about making it stronger. It will drift, naturally. A friendship will drift if you're not intentional about keeping it together. Your relationship with God will drift if you're not intentional about building it and deepening in it. And every relationship also has expectations that go along with it. Right? From the most informal of relationships, the most casual of relationships. You know, I don't... As an example, right, if, if I um, am in America and I meet someone for the very first time, in general, I don't expect, like, a really warm, deep hug from that person, right? Um, because that's not my cultural expectation for a brand new acquaintance. Now... If I go to Europe and I meet someone for the very first time, I actually might have a kiss on the cheek, right? Because <laughs> there's a cultural expectation for the beast on each side, right? It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a, an expectation of relationship. But then if I have a relationship with someone that I know every day, that I see every day, 
Um, it's expected. Now, I, I worked in France for a little while, so I kind of got used to this. And Well, I shouldn't say, I, I really never, I'll be honest, I never really did get used to the, the cheek kisses. Okay. And I, I did not practice it myself. Um, <laughs> but I did get kind of used to, I had coworkers, French coworkers that I would see every day, and they would come to me every day, and when the first thing they'd do when they get in the office, and they'd go around and shake hands with everybody and say hello to everybody. Um, and say hi. Now, initially, when I was there, I didn't, I didn't know all of them that well, and sometimes I would forget if I'd seen that person, because I just didn't remember all their faces that well, um, and so I'd forget if I'd met them or seen that person shake and, and greeted them for the first time that day, and what I learned as an expectation in our relationship, that it was offensive if I went and greeted them again later that day, because they had already greeted me. And so there was an expectation that I would remember that relationship, um, base, basis of that relationship and that greeting that happened already in that day. And I had violated that, right? But we also have expectations, you know, those, those, are, those are some casual ones. We also have expectations of, of deeper relationships with those that we are around significantly with, you know, or maybe we have children or a spouse at home or uh, a very best friend or uh, maybe there's a, you have an expectation of, of a neighbor relationship that you see frequently. Um, maybe it's like, you re, if you remember the, uh, this would be, sorry kids, um, those of you who grew up in, or lived in the 90s and remember the, the TV show Home Improvement and Tim Allen's relationship with uh, his neighbor over the fence, right? And so, like, hello neighbor, right? Or the neighbor would come back and they would have, they would have get into some philosophical discussion over the fence, and you'd only see like the top of the nose and the top of the head of the neighbor, right? They had some expectation of relationship. Well, we have expectation in our relationship with God, too, and we should have expectation in our relationship with God. And what I talked about last week is that our expectation in relationship with God includes God's glory. That's our expectation, because He is a glorious God, and He wants to display His glory and he wants to be worshipped, and we should give him his worship that he's due. He wants that from us. And he wants us to talk to him. He wants us to pray to him. He's ordained his world to function through prayer, through believing prayer. And he's chosen us to partner with him in his creation by talking to him and walking with him through prayer. And so when we vocalize our expectations... Our faith, I mentioned that word faith last week at the end of my message last week. That's another word for our expectations in God and what he's going to do is faith. When we vocalize those, that's called prayer. When we're vocalizing those to God, those expectations, that's praying. And so he created us to talk to him. He created us from the very beginning to talk to him, to walk with him. It wasn't just to subdue the earth, but to also walk with God. Adam walked with God, Right? Yes, he was given an instruction to subdue the earth, but he walked with God in relationship as he did so. It wasn't just cut him off and there you go. It was walking with God in relationship. And I really like how the Spirit-filled Bible, it commentates on this and it says, God created man to be his kingdom agent, to rule and subdue the rest of creation, including the aggressive satanic forces which would soon infringe upon it. 
And that's interesting. He, there's aggressive satanic forces that would infringe upon creation, and part of that is ruling and subduing that too. And without walking and talking with God in prayer, we're never going to fulfill our original design on earth. It's going to lack order. It's going to be chaotic. It will not be fruitful if we're not talking with God, if we're not walking with the Lord. He expects us to walk with him. He expects us to have a relationship with him in order to bring order onto the earth, including over the forces of the enemy. And so I'm going to ask a few people to share testimonies this morning about what I believe is God bringing order into the earth and over the enemy. We'll get to those in a little bit. But you know, when you think about creation, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Yeshua. He was the Word spoken at creation. And He gave order to the chaos at creation. He gave order. He put it in order. He put the earth in order. Right? And so the word of prayer is also given by God to help us bring order out of the chaos. He gives us this to help pull peace out of confusion. He gives us this to bring joy in the midst of sorrow. He gives us prayer to take what Satan meant for evil to bring it about for good. He gives us prayer for those things. Without prayer, without talking to God, our relationship with God is void. We don't have a relationship. It's, it's, there, there's nothing there. It's just somebody up high, you know, it's, it's like people who reference the big guy upstairs, right? There's, that's not a relationship. Our relationship without prayer doesn't have meaning. It does not have power. It doesn't have purpose. It, it's something where we know about God, but we don't know God. And there's a difference there. There's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Like, I might know the rules of football, so I can know about football, right? But someone who actually plays the game knows football. They know what to do. If you stuck me in a Chiefs game out on the field, I would get, like, flattened immediately, probably, and not get up. I might have to get taken out on a stretcher because I don't know football. But I could watch it and tell you what they're doing from the comfort of my couch because I know the rules but you put me out on the field, I don't know football, right? That's not my world. Lots of people in the world know about God. Lots of people know about the big guy upstairs, they say, right? They know about God, but those that walk with God, those that talk with God, they know God. You know God. And God came and he entered a relationship a covenant relationship with us, with a promise that we can know him, and not just know about him, but know him. The demons know about him, and they shudder. But we can know him. 
And we can be in a relationship with him and we can talk to him and we can ask him for things and we should ask him for things that are consistent with his word. We should ask to see his glory. We should be persistent in our prayer and our requests to be overcomers. I loved that word. You said overcomers and conquering, Doreen, earlier, and I loved that. And this is what I meant when I, when I taught last week, that we should expect God's glory in relational presence in our personal lives and in our corporate gatherings, that we should expect God's glory and grace and mercy as he breaks hard hearts and mends them and replacing them with hearts of flesh, that we can expect God's glory in transforming power in, in us, in each of us, and in every person here, and that we can expect God's glory through signs and wonders, including healing as well. We can expect God's glory in these things. So I want to have a little bit of time of testimony. And so Doreen started to share some testimony. I want to invite Doreen to come back up here because she shared some of that at the beginning of the song or before we sang the goodness of God this morning. And Doreen, if you would share a little bit about God's, expecting God's glory in your life in this time because I, and I remember when, when you first went into the hospital and we talked to you, and, and I remember your sense of expectation there when you were in that hospital bed and we prayed with you. I don't, think, I don't know if it's on. Okay. I, just, I remember that distinctly. And I remember coming away from that time encouraged that you, I was like, man, Doreen encouraged me. I went there to encourage her, and I, I went to her, and she was there with so much expectation of God's glory that I came away encouraged. So I want you to share us a little bit about that time and what you've seen God do. Well, to give a little background, um, both my parents passed away from cancer. Um, My mom had cancer uh, the first time in her life when I was five years old. And so um, the cancer word has been this kind of, ominous presence kind of and um you know throughout my life basically I mean I was don't have very much memories before five so um the thing is is God was like preparing me to hear those words that um we think you have cancer I mean he was preparing me for that and um I don't know I can't, ex- I can't tell you definitively how he prepared me except for he was speaking to me in different ways and, and through, uh, in my thoughts and, um, and different scriptures that I would read and they would just kind of ring true to me. And before I got diagnosed, you know, the scripture of you will live and not die kept ringing in my ears, you will live and not die. Because I was having symptoms and, but I didn't know what was going on yet. And so before I found out, you know, dramatically what was going on, um, you know, he was preparing me with, through the scriptures, you know, you will live and not die. And um, you had been um, teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And I'll, I can say this with full confidence that there was just, there was a gift of faith that was given to me at that time. Um, because 
up through that time, I don't know that I would have I would have faith for others healing because I saw my mom be healed. I mean, so she had cancer three times. The second time, um, the the ladies of of our uh, worship community were praying for her, and um, they've one of the ladies in prayer saw a hand come down and reached. Um, well, first of all, um, my the second time my mom had cancer. Um, was not related to the first time she had cancer, okay? They were two different types of cancer, so they weren't related. It wasn't like it had metastasized. And so the second time she had cancer, um, basically they took out as much of her colon as they could at the possible time and sent her home to die. And so the ladies were praying for her, and one of the ladies um, in the spirit saw a hand come down and take out a mass out of my mother. And when my mother went back to the doctor, there was no cancer to be found in her, in her colon and in her body. So, um, so my mom, so this is how I grew up, like listening to my mom, like give her testimony to anyone who would sit longer than about two seconds with her. She was like giving her testimony. Um, so then I, I told you that she did pass away from cancer. So a few years later, she did pass away. And her concern the third time she had cancer was that um, because she had testified to everyone that she had come in contact with is that she didn't want God's name drugged through the mud, is how she put it, if I remember correctly. And so as it turns out, the third cancer was related to the first cancer, but not related to the miracle healing of the second cancer. And so, praise God. But I came to a point when it was me that when I was diagnosed with cancer, it came. To, I, I I had this gift of faith that I had I had had faith for other people to be healed because I had seen it. I had seen it through my life. I'd seen other people healed. I remember um, one dear lady that in prayer I saw her broken arm just be healed, and then and it was no longer broken. You know, I mean, it was just like I I saw this as a child and as a young teen and. And so, so I knew about the miracle, but I didn't know whether God was going to heal me in this life or if he was going to heal me by taking me home with him. And really, when I was in the hospital, it didn't matter to me. I mean, it really didn't matter to me because I really finally, I think I finally understood what Paul was saying when he said to live or to die is Messiah and to live is, uh, or uh, no, to, to die is gain, but to live is to be a Messiah. And it, it was like this gift of faith that just, for myself, that, had, that God just gave to me. I mean, he gave me, the Ruach gave me that gift because I had not had that gift before. And I will tell you that um, and it, it was a gift for a time, you know. It was a gift for a time. And um, it, <sighs> so, um,
will say that um, once I got past the surgery part, you know, and the cancer had been removed, and God did, oh, heal me through um, medical personnel, <laughs> you know, through medical, um, through that gift, which um, is a whole other story. I'll have to talk about that another time. <laughs> um, but there were just lots of little miracles, you know, just lots of little miracles that got me to where I needed to be, where I was supposed to be. And so, and I just knew that I was not, um, that I was to live and not die. And um, I, re I remember distinctly when I was feeling sick at one point, um, later on after the surgery, and the surgeon's ear, voice just kept ringing in my head. He just because he said to me, you're not sick, you're not sick. You know, I'm laying there in the hospital bed, and he just kept saying, you're not sick, you're not sick. It's like, and so later on, that was just God used his words to help um, restore that faith in me. So, but I will say this, but because of that gift of faith, this is where I was going, because of that gift of faith, um, I, I did keep the details of my hospitalization very private. And here's why. Because of that gift of faith, I didn't want anybody in that room that didn't have a similar faith. <laughs> I just didn't. And so I kept it kind of quiet. I kept it private. I mean, because I, I, because I just needed to bolster. I needed to hang on to that gift. And so um, I kept it. And then um, the other, and the last thing I want to say is that um, that the staying power of of Messiah, the staying power of Yeshua, because um, I accepted him as my savior when I was in the nursery. My mom prayed with me, and did I always walk? According to his plan for me, no, there were times where I veered off the path. But he kept, me, he kept bringing me back. And so I just want to encourage parents and grandparents, keep praying with and for your children because I know the staying power of God and you. Thank you. And Yeshua. Amen. Doreen vocalized an expectation, and and she and I love what you shared there, Doreen, about that that gifting of faith that God had given you this this expectation of what was to happen. And and you know that vocalization of expectation that she said there that's that's one arena in which we operate in truly knowing the Lord. Um, Dan Juster, in his, in his book, Growing to Maturity, which we're going through in our new members class, and so for those of you in the class, I actually took this from this week's portion of the reading, um, so you should, you should know this one. He said, in his book, he says, in loving God, spending time in his word, and listening to his spirit, we find our heart's primary desire is to love and serve God better. 
We desire the extension of his kingdom so that people might come to know Yeshua and become like him. Thus, our prayers will emphasize concern for the lost and for, for the growth of our brothers and sisters in Messiah. So that really ties in well with what you shared there, Doreen, um, there at the end, um, about you know, continuing to pray, even for those, those children, those who, who don't yet know the Lord, that, that you want them to know and have that same faith that you have had, that you continue to have that continues to stay with you. And, and, and I would add to this, and very similar to what Doreen shared earlier, is that this is where we become over, overcomers as well. This is where we become conquerors as well, is on the battleground of prayer. It is spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. It's where we become intercessors for those who are lost, even when we think they might be beyond reach. And so I, I want to have a, another testimony this morning. I'm gonna, I've asked Jessica to come and share. She has a, a, a strong, what I believe is a strong testimony um, about her daughter and her. So Jessica, I'm going to let you share um, with us along those lines too. I'm not setting up for a sermon, I promise. Philip, uh, when, when he said that, uh, or when I sent him a message, I sent him a message and said that I had a testimony about my daughter because there are so many people here that have been praying for her for, oh my gosh, since December. Um, because she has, uh, she has been sentenced to serve uh, quite some time in prison and I said so a couple of days later or I said a few days ago my uh, the Lord put on my heart to share a testimony because there have been so many people praying for her and um, I just wanted to share share it from a mother's perspective. So I'm going to pass. Uh, I probably don't need this. Yeah, I do? Remotely. Sorry, everybody at home. Okay. Um, so the goodness of God. Um, it was, what was that other slide, Brother Brian? The law of praying for the lost, right? Was that it? Praying for the lost around us. Okay. Uh, but before, before I start, uh, I need to apologize because I am in my PJs. It, this, is a, this is not my Shabbat outfit. <laughs> it, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Um, this morning, I left my family at home to go up the street and uh, pick up a friend of mine from her house who um, her sister has some challenges and uh, she had kicked her out of the house and she needed somebody immediately. So I went and picked her up and took her somewhere else and 
Um, we were late for synagogue, almost, a little late. We are running behind. And what they showed me was their negativity and their fighting and uh, their challenges kind of pulled me in uh, in this morning to that. And it completely blinded me from my purpose this morning, from what my purpose was supposed to be. I was supposed to be preparing for my testimony and I was supposed to be getting ready for synagogue and dressing for, you know, just in case, the Messiah returns, so I'm going to look nice when he comes. Um, I mean, at least they're colorful, right? They're very colorful. Um, uh, what it showed me was, and when you, we focus on ourselves, we're lost. We get lost because there's, we are a never-ending my husband explained to me how black hole works, and that's exactly what happens when we are selfish and when we start to think about ourselves and no one else we tend to dive deep down into that little rabbit hole um, and it can pull other people in with it we can pull other people down with it we can lose sight of our Messiah and we can just drag everybody into this pit so to speak when we when we we implode that's what happens but when we focus on the one who saves us from the darkness um, of this world, uh, we start to see others through brand new eyes. Um, we start to, uh, so our eyes change, our, our, our words, our words change, our negative words turn into loving affirmations and encouragement instead of hate. Um, and uh, we hear with new ears through the Messiah. We hear brokenness in uh, a new way. It, we're, we hear it as a, an opportunity for salvation. We hear an, an opportunity for light, for people to see light. Um, and that's what we're charged with. We need to plant seeds. We're not, we're not supposed to save people. We're supposed to plant seeds for the Lord to water and for the Lord to harvest. Um, but he sends us out as workers, right, to do those things. Um, so we submit, when we submit our lives to Yeshua, we are saying, lead me, Lord, go before me um, as my example. Uh, make my heart break for what breaks your heart and disciple me. This way I can disciple other people around me and through the Holy Spirit. That's the tool that he gives us to use. We have, he has a, we have a piece of us living, a piece of him living within us always to guide us through these things. Um, and this leads to a generational chain breaking of curses and different things. My husband and I, neither one of us had a religious background of any kind, relatively. His dad was a believer. My parents were absolutely not. They were the complete opposite of believers. Um, and this, I met Yeshua when my daughter, Sophia, was 
four, and Taya was about 12, 11 or 12. And uh, so I was brand new, and my transformation started happening. Um, changes in my thinking and my priorities um, for my house started to change. My husband was right by my side. He was leading us uh, through everything, through the Torah, through um, moving into what was going to be a complete transformation of our family. Um, and then my transfer, I just coined this earlier while Philip was talking, it's my transformation of expectation. That's what uh, came to my mind earlier. Um, so like I said, um, the Lord put it on my heart took a few days ago to ask Philip if I could come up here and speak about Taya. Um, she is... She is, she's been in prison since December, and she just turned 20 on the 10th of July in prison. And she had attempted suicide at 11. She had... She was unresponsive, and my first, God, the Lord's first, I'm going to call it manifestation, to my face, in front of my eyes, that changed the way I saw things for the rest of my life. Um, he brought her out of a, a drug-induced coma. Um, charcoal didn't make her sick. She was unresponsive to everything that they gave her. And it was really gross because I hit my knees. Uh, on an ER floor, and it's not a clean place to be, but um, it was worth every, I, I didn't even notice. Uh, I prayed, I prayed for her, and I called people to corporately pray with me because I had just joined a church, and by the next morning, it had been over 24 hours, and by the next morning, she finally uh, woke up. The drugs had left her system. She had no damage. Um, she had taken over 50 pills, and it didn't touch her. No, it didn't touch her. Um, and that's part of her testimony, too. Uh, so three years ago, um, I brought her home from Colorado uh, while she was living. Um, or I don't know where she was, really. I know that while she was in Colorado, she was... Uh, part of a prostitution ring. I don't know if it was forceful or not. I don't know what her involvement was, um, but I do know that it damaged her for a long time. Um, drugs have been a serious challenge uh, for her and crime in the streets and all of these things brought her to Yeshua um, through prayer and testimony and me telling her that all of, all of you have been praying for her it changed the way she saw things. Um, I started a Bible study. So after I brought her home from Colorado, it was three years ago, I was excited. I was so excited to have her home. I started a Bible study on uh, the fruits of the Spirit because I found these tiny little books. And I thought they were super cute and so much easier than my Bible. And I had no time then. Um, 
these little books here, the Dollar Tree, they're so tiny. And they had all nine of the fruits. So I grabbed all nine of them at one time, and I started this study. On, uh, and I started with love first. And she, uh, um, within three days, she was no longer with us. She had disappeared. Um, I called uh, our friend, Seth Baker, and he came over to our house because he's an officer in Wellington, and we're so blessed to have him in Wellington. Uh, but he came over, and I ended up having to put her on the international missing persons list, not just the national. He, he put her on the national, and she had been gone for so long that it spread. Um, so after, uh, as soon as she left or disappeared, I stopped with the study. I didn't touch it. I haven't looked at it. It was dusty when I pulled it off my bookshelf. And the reason I pulled it off my bookshelf is my praise report. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so she was gone. I don't know where she was. Uh, I was consumed by sadness and anger. And I didn't, I didn't go any further uh, in this study because I was upset. I was mad. We went through all of this stuff. We traveled hours to find her in the dark and pulled her out of Colorado from a carnival and from some guy who thought she belonged to him and it was uh it was eye-opening it was eye-opening um but that day um that she disappeared from the house i prayed for uh forgiveness uh from the lord because i was i had been selfish um, as a mother our love can be selfish sometimes um, we want for our children we want what's best for them. We want what we think is best for them. We uh, lift them up to the Lord. Uh, but I prayed that he would take her from me and make her his own, and that he would protect her, send his angels to guide her, and to stay with her, and to completely make her his child. The whole time I was praying for, I was about, or it was about, what I wanted, and, and that wasn't good. That wasn't right. It was wrong. Um, so I spent a lot of time um, praying for her. And she came home once, and um, we finally found her a few weeks. Uh, about a month later, she came home. Found her a few weeks later. And when she got home, she stayed with uh, Sophia with my youngest and they shared a room and um, I can tell you I didn't know anything about um, the indwelling of I didn't know anything about um, how evil can attach to people I didn't know anything about um, what they can do to people inside how they can change people how the enemy can lie and do so much damage. I thought, I've got the Lord. What can he do? You know, what can the enemy do to me and mine? Mm -hmm. He can do a lot. He can do a lot of damage. He knows the word in and out. He knows the word better than we do. He knows the word. Uh, he uses it against us. And he did that. He used it against her. Um, she didn't, we didn't know who she was. We didn't recognize her, her personality, her facial features, were changed. Her, 
her responses were changed. The joy and the light that she carried around with her was gone. I didn't know her. Well, we didn't know her anymore. Um, a second, uh, after a second, uh, I'm going to shorten it up a little bit. After a second listing on uh, the national missing persons list, I had to put her back on again uh, uh, sometime later. Uh, she came, uh, she had come back and she had gone through so much. She was picked up for uh, first degree murder in December and put in prison. Um, and so now she's facing a lot longer than I anticipate, you know, than, than I, any, any mother I think should ever have to pray about. Because <laughs> it's not, yeah, sure, it's hurting me, but that's that motherly selfish love. You know, my poor baby, my poor family, are this and are that. I did not think for a second, uh, a few months ago about what good, what, what good could come of this, what good can come, what good can come of your child being put in prison? I, I couldn't think of a thing. I couldn't think of a single thing. But then I remembered that she was alive. She was alive. She could have been dead, sold, um, hurt beyond any kind of recovery. Uh, anyway, she is now uh, facing some time in there, but there's uh, been so many people praying for her that I wanted to um, let everyone know that uh, your, prayer, your, your prayers have availed in her life. Uh, we, ever since she, she'd been in there for a couple of months in she called me and started talking to me about the pastor at the prison, uh, at the jail. And she said, well, she was talking to me about the gospel and what it meant. And I, I had some questions. So we started talking about those things. And I've been telling her uh, for years that uh, people have been praying for. So the Lord has been working on her heart uh, this entire time, like the whole time. And I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, at first, I thought uh, she was just, she hadn't been to court yet. So at first, I thought it was just, well, I'm going to say these things because it'll look good in court. It'll, it'll help me. It'll help soften the judge. Or you know, I didn't know because at this point, she had lied and she had gone through a lot of things. And I wasn't sure what to expect. So again, my faith had been not what it should be during that time. Um, but uh, over the last several months, uh, she mentioned to me that she'd been reading her Bible more and more every day, and that other people, other women, have been coming up to her in, in the blocks that she's been in. And she hasn't just been in one spot. The Lord has moved her five times, and she's only been in there since December, in the same jail, around different women, different types of women. And she she reads her Bible in public in the day room, and they come up to her, and they've asked her, what are you reading? Who's that? And she gets an opportunity to say, well, I don't really know, but here's what the Bible says about it. So, and she would call me uh, from there, and she tells me these things every day. 
uh, that every day that she experiences this, she writes it down and she calls me and uh, tells me about it. And we talk about things. Um, and the other day, a few of them asked if they could read with her when she does it. So the, so the Lord has taken, uh, taken this broken thing again, again, Lord, you have taken a broken thing and you have beautified it. You've changed it from the inside out and he has polished her and he has drug her through the fire and made her solid and she is still sinful we all are she is still struggling with we you know, with um, things of the flesh she is still in that lifestyle but um, she has come a long way uh, the Lord has restored her heart it actually set a fire uh, set a fire in her. She's got that fire that I remember I had <laughs> when, um, and, and it, it never disappeared. It was just, I don't know. I turned the burner down myself. He didn't do that. I did that, right? So now that I'm on fire again, I am just, I'm super, I'm just encouraged that she is experiencing the Lord and getting upset. She actually got upset at a girl the other day and said, she goes, oh, the, she said, I just, I hope when I get out, I have, I have a, I do better. I have a good life. And she goes, did you give your life to the Lord? And she goes, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I prayed. I prayed for that. And I prayed with some other people and, and uh, I pray for that all the time. She goes, did you talk to the Lord? Did you submit? Did you get on your knees and submit yourself? And she goes, oh yeah, yeah, I prayed. And, um, and I believe in God. And she finally said, no, you don't. <laughs> she said, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I do. I, I, know that, uh, I know that he's the God of the Bible, and, and uh, I, believe, I, I believe in him. She said, no, you don't. You have, not submit, you have not submitted to him. If you had submitted to him, you would be walking out of here confident. You'd be walking out of here saying, the Lord has saved me from prison, and you would be walking out with his name on your lips, not your own. This is my, this is Taya. This is, this is the girl that came from all of these ugly, horrible things and has defeated uh, the enemy. And all we did as parents were, we just planted the seed and we talked to her about it. Um, so, She's fully given her life. She's come to Yeshua. She um, is looking for an opportunity to get baptized. I don't even know if they do that in prison. I'm not sure. But she wants to get it done. Uh, knowing that she has so much time to face, she is not, it's not just a passing phase. She is leaning on the Lord completely to carry her through this whole thing. Um, and... Okay, so full circle. Uh, full circle. I was telling her about these one day on the phone, and I said, hey, I have all of these dusty little books on my bookshelf. I said, this is something I started when you were gone and all this other stuff, and right after you come home, and I explained to her. And she goes, oh, that, that sounds really awesome. She goes, can we, can we do that? 
can, can we go through some of these books? And I said, sure. Well, when do you want to start? Well, how about right now? Every phone call is 20 minutes, right? Every video is 20 minutes. And um, I said, okay, sure. She goes, y'all. <laughs> she said, I said, what do you want to do? Which, where do you want to start? She said, can we start with love? Right? And the reason I spoke on my PJ story, it was because it reminded me that the lack of uh, philia between the sister and sister um, sprung up in my mind because I, I was able to explain to Taya the difference between, she goes, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand what these loves mean, agape, philia. Like, wh what is all this? And I said, okay, well, let's start with Eros because, you know, Let's get that one. That's a, let's get past that. And then, um, but I said, Eros is for a husband and a wife. It's, a, it's an eternal bond. It's a deep, loving relationship between a man and a woman. And then I said, uh, we talked about agape and what that means. And she was really into that one because that's where, that's the kind of over, it's not overbearing. It is wonderfully bearing. Um, it, is a, it is an outpouring of the kind of love that is unconditional for something you created, for your, your, your creation. Um, and then uh, philia. I said, philia is what you're working on right now in jail. With, with other women, you are loving on them by telling them the truth. You're pouring the Lord into one of the most ugliest places you could be. And the guards respect her, because she's 20. The guards respect her, they help her. When she is on lockdown, they reach out to her. The other women flock around her. and She's only 20. She's only 20. Um, so, Facing uh, about 10 to 15 years so far, um, she is leaning into the bread of life. And they feed her a lot of bread in there, y'all. They really do. What'd you have for dinner? Cake and bread and corn or something. What'd you have for breakfast? Cake and bread. <laughs> like, okay. What'd you have for dinner yesterday? Hey, goulash with corn, bread, and cake. Okay, lots and lots of bread. So I explained to her that she was eating the bread of life and to remember to bless it every day that she had it. Um, asking me, uh, she asked me about words that she doesn't understand in the word. She shares Yeshua's love and promises with people that she's met in prison, plus the guards. It's just, that's, that's exciting for me. She's, she's sharing the Lord with guards. Um, and we've been reading for a while. We've been reading for uh, a couple of weeks now. And to close, uh, I wanted to read uh, something that she sent me, just a little bit, a little portion of it. Uh, this is a letter that she had sent me a few weeks ago. They sent it to me and my husband. Um, 
She said, hey, I know I haven't uh, wrote and written in a while, um, and I apologize about that. I know you guys stay busy, and I thank God every day throughout the day for providing for you guys and watching over you all, family and friends and loved ones alike. I don't have as much of a problem managing or fixing my moods every day as I did when I first uh, was getting used to being in here. With prayer and constantly trying to make uh, my only focus, my relationship with God, is helping me more than I ever knew it would. I now know, or I know now that I've always had him close to me. I just didn't want to know who he was. I remember talking to you about how I thought I wasn't worthy of God's love or attention, and I know, and know, uh, I, I know that I know, since before I ever even knew what guilt was, he hasn't missed a single beat. I'm sorry for all the times I made you cry and made you feel sad for me. Um, you always knew if I was lying to you or when I didn't want to split something or when I didn't want to spit something out. Um, that I knew you would never judge me for anything that I said. I knew your love was, is, and has always been unconditional for me and Sophia and Gabriel. We've both, you and I, have seen each other go through and put ourselves through things and uh, through times seem, that seem really long ago, but they really aren't. And we just, we never, oh, she said, just never forget that God is who made sure that we got through it, whether it was with each other or separate or with him alone. He is who made the way. I know you already know this and have told me the same thing before a lot of times. Though the devil has his ways of making us feel like things are bad or anxious, that they could get worse. But the worst part of his tricks is he makes it seem like he, the enemy, isn't the one to blame when he really, he really can be, but not always, because we are sinners. Things may seem like they're on hold right now, but don't forget that God never takes a break. Our keeper never sleeps. He has a plan for everything, and it's all full of genuine love and kindness and peace. He thanks you for trusting in him, and I thank you too. He was going to claim us one way or the other, whether we wanted him to or not. He was going to make sure that we knew we belonged to him. All of us. I tell God every day that I could never thank him enough for all that he's done for us and for others, and that I'll never stop thinking about him. He's been the one making sure that I don't lose myself in here. Like I was saying, he knows our past, present, and future. And I know that uh, you want to do everything you can to be here for me. And I'm way beyond thankful for that, the things you and the family do for me. So I give thanks to God to you all, for all of you. And there's a lot more, but um, that's, uh, that's after um, December, January, February, 
Actually, it's about that's after eight months of submission to the Lord. She has come from street thug to uh, a warrior for the Lord. So I'm that's it. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Love it. I love the testimony. You know, it's it's like what Doreen shared too from Revelation, right? The it's it's the word of the Lamb and the, the testimony. The testimony that of what God is doing. And uh, and that's what's going to keep I mean, how how has that kept you going, right? Now this testimony, has that not been strengthening to you in your soul and in your marriage, right? And now for us that is strengthening to us to hear this testimony right, of, of what God is doing, because God is so desperate to be in relationship with us, and you were, you were desperate for it, too, for her, um, and we need to be a congregation whose hearts are desperate for the lost, that we're so consumed with God and his gospel of redemption in our lives, that he's the redeeming father, that we want other people to have that as well. And that, that, that's what should drive us to action, and that's what should drive us to prayer. And, you know, Jessica, you, you persevered in prayer, and you asked us to persevere in prayer for, Jess, for, for Taya as well, and, and you took action. Multiple times you took action. Um, sometimes when you didn't see anything come out of it, or it just seemed like it was, even, it was wasted maybe, you know, like, okay, we brought her back, but then she left again, right? Um, but you continued to persevere. You, could, you were persistent there. And, and you were ready to walk with her through the valley of the shadow of death. And you did. And you, and you spent that time with her in the Word. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for you. I'm grateful for Taya and, uh, and what she's doing now and for the work of God in both of your hearts, both in you as a mom and a disciple-maker, and Taya is a daughter, and she's a disciple and a disciple maker now, where she's at. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to go to seminary to be disciple makers. We can be disciple makers when we have the saving grace of Yeshua and the testimony of what he's done for us. We can be disciple makers. Yeah. Yeah. She just said this uh, to me uh, two days ago on the phone. Uh, she said that grace always comes down and never goes up. A lot of people in jail are proud of themselves for the grace that God has, can that God has handed them. Good deeds are dirty rags to God. Without love and gratitude for God, we have nothing to give others. And she, just, she just told me that out of, on a phone call. <laughs> it blew my mind, so I, just, I put it out. I'm like, I'm going to tell everybody. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So this kind of ties in a little bit to um, the, the convoy of hope that's going to be coming to Wichita um, at the end of the month on July 29th. Um, there's an opportunity, and, and I don't know that everyone here is going to do this, okay? But I, I did send out an email this week to see, um, you know, who, who might be called to this. You know, we're still going to be here for Shabbat, okay? And and that's not going to go away. This doesn't diminish the importance of us gathering for Shabbat together. 
Um, but at the same time, on that day, there's going to be over at Colvin Elementary, a half mile south of us, um, <clears throat> there's going to be a, a thing called Convoy of Hope that's going to be here. And there's going to be a prayer tent that's going to be there too. And Sam McVeigh, who was here, he's leading that effort in that prayer tent. Um, a, a place for us to go and pray with and minister to the needs of those who God has placed us right, right in front of us here in Plainview. Um, to pray with them and to offer them the love and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord. And, and so I want you guys to pray about that and, and see if the Lord would put it on your heart to, to do that. Now, you don't have very long to pray about it, though, because I need you to sign up. Today's the deadline. That's why I sent the email earlier this week. For, and if you're not on our email list, let me know so I can get you on that list. But uh, there is a sign-up sheet in the lobby if you did not want to use the, the web or didn't know how to use it, and that's okay, I get it. Um, there's a sign-up sheet in the lobby. If, if the Lord is putting it on your heart to participate in this opportunity to go and, and love um, our neighbors through a prayer ministry, there's some other things that can be done too. They're, they're going to be serving food and, and giving out groceries and school supplies, backpacks, and things like that, but, but the prayer tent is where my heart's been drawn to as a congregation um, to pray with those residents there. So, as you consider that, and you consider these testimonies we've heard from Doreen and from Jessica, I, wanna, I want you guys to go to Isaiah 55, and this is kind of where we're going to close out today, is on Isaiah 55. Um, starting in verse 6, I'll give you a second to open your Bibles there, or turn to it, but we're gonna, um, I'm going to read Isaiah 55, 6 through 11. And I really want us to, to meditate on these words. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, it says, Seek out an eye while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous one his thoughts. Let him return to Adonai, so he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. It is a declaration of Adonai. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without having water of the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to sow and bread to eat, so my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me in vain, but will accomplish what I intend it, and will succeed in what I have sent it for. The Spirit speaking through Isaiah today. I want you to let that sit in your heart, to consider those that you know, those teas in your life that you know. It's a family member, a friend, maybe it's somebody you, you don't know, but they're just it's this, the neighborhood. You know that there's people lost in your neighborhood or in our neighborhood here in Plainview and all around us in this city that don't know the Lord. That we need to seek the Lord and they need to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call on him while he is near. To call on him while he is near. How do we know that he's near? How do we know? It's, how do we know that he can be found? It's because he lives inside of you. He lives inside of us. You know where he's at. You know how to find the Lord, and you can share that with somebody else. 
You can tell them. You can give them the directions. Because he lives inside of you. Lord, may the wicked forsake their ways. Lord, may the unrighteous, may they forsake their thoughts. Lord, Lord, may, may, they, may you bring them to know you. Those who have rejected the Lord, may they come to know the Lord. May they be brought back close to the Lord's heart. That the Lord would have compassion on them. That he would have mercy on them. That, that they would be repentant and humble before the Lord. In the same vein, may the Lord give us boldness to speak his word in grace and in truth. Just as the word of the Lord brought creation into being, we know that his word proceeding from the spirit within us does not return in vain. It does not return in vain, but it will accomplish what the Lord intends it. And it will succeed for what it's sent for. He's put that word in your mouth. He has put it in your mouth. Allow it to come out. Unloose our tongues, Lord, that we may be bold. I pray that we would be conduits, that we would be vessels for the word of God spoken through us, words of knowledge, prophecy, or scripture, or signs and wonders even. And even those that we have known for years and have functionally given up on, I pray that we would be encouraged as the heavens are higher than the earth and God's ways are higher than ours and our thoughts are more than ours and that we know that he can do even more than we ever ask or imagine that we would be continually confident in those that he can bring to redemption. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you have been encouraged by these testimonies this morning.